All right, good evening, everyone. My, my apologies for the few-minute delay, some technical difficulties, but in Merit Sashem, now we are literally back online. So we're beginning tonight in Merit Sashem, a new capital in Sefer Tehillim, Posperek Vov, Chapter 6. I want to begin by thanking the Engelsberg, Dinovitzer, and Steinberg families for sponsoring this series. Le'iloi Nishmas, Lazecha Nishmas, Harad Yitzchak, David, Ben Mary, Arye Zichon Levrach, we hope then in the merit of our Tamil Torah, the Neshamal Haven Aliyah, and the family in Nechama. So let us begin tonight in Merit Hashem by going ahead and taking a look at Kapitel Vav, which is number one on your sheet. So we'll do tonight a little bit of a general overview of the Kapitel, and then in Merit Hashem, we'll kind of begin to jump into some of the thematic ideas over the course of the next couple of weeks. David HaMalach writes as follows, So a lot already happening in this opening Pasuk, to the conductor, so we already know again, David HaMalach is composing the music to be sung in the Levitic choir. Here he's literally speaking to the conductor. The Levitic choir, Again, we'll discuss that in Meretz HaShem in future Shi'urim. Right now we'll just use the English translation that is here. With melodies, Al Hashminis Mizmar Ledavid. According to most opinions, Al Hashminis, Shminis actually refers to an eight stringed harp. A harp without strings. As we pointed out already in last week's year, that David Amelech not only went ahead and set or created the music for the Levitic choir, but in many instances he actually even tells the choir which particular instruments to use. So David Amelech goes on in this capital, will probably look very familiar because we recite it as part of Shachris every single morning in the Tefillah of Tachnun. So just to orient ourselves a little bit, over the course of davening, we assume multiple positions. We stand, we sit, we prostrate. Now the truth is we don't literally prostrate, right? Because again, prostration, kind of like what we do, Alenu, right? Or over the course of when we, over the course of Yom Kippur davening, when we utter the Shem Hashem, we don't really prostrate outside of the Beis Hamikdash. The closest we come to prostration in the context of Tefillah is that during Tachanun we place our head over our arm like this and kind of bend down in supplication. This particular capital is Tachanun. This was adapted as the Tefillah of Tachanun that is part of Shachris, part of Mincha, each and every day, except on days that we don't say Tachanun. We'll discuss exactly in, in coming shir and probably more next week, why this was incorporated as Tachanun. So if it seems familiar, it's because, again, it's in the Siddur. So he says, Dan Mal says as follows, Hashem, So this is a very strong capital. David HaMalach says, HaKadosh Baruch do not rebuke me in your anger, and do not chastise me in your wrath. Chanini Hashem ki umlal ani, rifaini Hashem ki nifhalu atzamai. Literally, be gracious to me, O Lord, because I languish. Heal me, O Lord, because my bones are frightened. V'nafshi nifhala ma'od, v'hata Hashem ad masai. My soul is so very frightened, says David HaMalach. And you, Hashem, for how long? Shuva Hashem chaltza nafshi, Literally, return, O Lord, rescue my soul, save me for the sake of your loving kindness. So we'll pause over here for just a little bit. So clearly, even without reading the rest of the capital, the theme of the chapter, the theme of the capital is distress. David HaMelech is in distress. David HaMelech is in 
crisis. And what's interesting about this capital is this capital seems to allude to physical distress, alludes to emotional distress, and alludes to spiritual distress. So every type of distress one could think of, physical, emotional, spiritual, it's all contained in this capital. So what's happening? What's the historical background of this particular chapter in Tilim? So if you take a look at number two, the Me'iri. The Me'iri has a beautiful interpretation. The Me'iri says, V'yesh mefarshim kala mizmar be'inyon ha'golos she'yisrael b'socho k'cholim u'midukoim. Says the Me'iri, this capital, this chapter of Tilim is a metaphor. But it's not a metaphor for the distress, distress or illness or suffering of an individual, but rather it is a metaphor for the distress the illness and the difficulties of a nation. David HaMelech metaphorically describes Galus as physical illness. And the same way that when a person is ill, sometimes the illness could become so profound and so overpowering that it, it eclipses everything else in life. In other words, you know, we have moments in life when I know that even though things are difficult, there's still so much good. There's still so much beauty. There are still so many good things. But sometimes a particular situation is so all-encompassing and so overwhelming that I can't see past it. So therefore, again, says the Me'iri, David HaMelech over here is describing Gullus. He's describing diaspora. He's describing the difficulties of being in exile using the metaphor of physical illness. Now, you know, sometimes when we see Kapitach like this, we, we don't often realize how incredibly fortunate we are. You know, that when we speak about Galos, when we speak about Galos, so yes, we know we're in Galos. So what does Galos mean? Oh, I wish I could shop in Mamila. You know, I wish, you know, I, I, I wish, you know, uh, I'd love a little stroll down First Station or something else like that. We live in a dramatically different age. We, we live in a different age. We live in a different time where although we are in Galos, what we are experiencing is nothing less than a golden age of Jewry. When you think about the fact that less than a century ago, six million Jews met their end in such barbaric ways, and less than a century later, you look at the proliferation in every aspect of Jewish life, Baruch Hashem, proliferation of yeshivas, proliferation of learning, access to learning, access to wealth in the Jewish community, incredible influence, less than a century, less than a century after our people were nearly decimated. Less than a century after people were nearly decimated. You know, I remember my uncle Zichron Lebracha used to tell me that his family had a person, they had a yomtiv, a family yomtiv on the second day Chalamayr Pesach. What happened on the second day Chalamayit Pesach? My uncle, Zichron Levracha, told me that his father, Zichron Levracha, was a boy in Poland. That part of the family was from Poland. The part we like is Hungarian. But the other, the other part is... is the, so, on uh, sec, second day, second day Chalamayit Pesach, second day, second day Chalamayit Pesach, or second day Pesach, my uncle's father, a little boy playing outside, a group of, of Polish riffraff picked him up, little Jewish boy, and threw him down a well. They threw him down a well. And somehow, miraculously, he survived. He survived. So every year, every year second day Pesach, the family had a personal yomtiv. And you, know, you, you think about this, 
And it's like, what, what, and that was normal. That was normal. That wasn't an abnormal event. What was abnormal, what was the nace, is that he survived. That, that was the nace. But that there was overt anti-Semitism, which unfortunately is still very real today. But that there was absolutely no repercussion for picking up a hand against the Jew. That was reality not so long ago. And we sometimes don't realize the incredible brachos that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us, has given Jewry, even diaspora Jewry, in such dramatic ways. This brings a whole host of other issues that we have to constantly remind ourselves each and every day. We are in Golos. We are not where we are supposed to be. This is a wonderful land for hosting us, a wonderful country for extending a gracious invitation to us. But this is not the home for the Jew. But we'll save that for a different time. In any event, so says the Meiri, says the Meiri, David HaMelech over here is referring ultimately to diaspora. So this entire capital, which speaks about physical illness, emotional illness, even spiritual illness, is a metaphor for Golos. But comes the Malbim in number three, and the Malbim disagrees. And the Malbim writes, Lam Natsiach Mavuar, Kimizmarze, Hispalo is Chala Choli Kaved Varuch. No, this capital is actually about physical illness. So, what, why is David Amalek writing about physical illness? Because David endured physical illness. David suffered a bout of, of debilitating, life threatening illness. When was this? Achar Maasa Shabbat Sheva. In the aftermath of the episode of Batsheva, you know, it's interesting. This is our, this is our third year in this series. This is our third year. And if you notice, by the way, who's come up every single year? Batsheva. Batsheva. We haven't even spoken about her. She actually has not been a dominant character in any of our shiurim. But you see something fascinating, which is you almost don't go a capital of Tehillim without Batsheva, without that episode of Batsheva somehow coming in. We'll devote significant time in subsequent Kapitlach trying to understand the enormity of that event. But one thing is clear, is the episode with Batsheva colored David Amalasa. If you know in life sometimes you hit a crossroads, you hit a crossroads, and the decision you make forever determines the, the ongoing trajectory of your life. Meaning every day we have to make decisions. But a lot of decisions I make, if I choose A, I choose B, the stakes aren't all that high. But in those moments, you come to a crossroad in life. And if you choose right, you choose left. You choose A, you choose B. It puts your life on two dramatically different directions. The episode with Bathsheba sent David HaMelech's life in a dramatically different direction. There are certain incredible aspects of David HaMelech that only materialize because of the episode of Bathsheba. But it is an event. It is an event, a seminal event that forever changes the direction of David HaMelech's life. In the aftermath of the episode of Bathsheba, Nasan Hanavi tells David there will be three punishments for the events with Bathsheba. Punishment number one is David and Bathsheba had a baby. That first baby, not Shlomo, before Shlomo, that baby died in infancy. The Navi tells David, the baby's death is on you. The baby's death, David, is on you. That's punishment number one. Punishment number two is the Navi told David that he's going to suffer a serious illness. And punishment number three is that Nasan Navi tells David, there's going to be a rebellion against you from within your own household. Someone from within your own family is going to rebel against you. And of course, that was a reference to which event? Avshalom. 
That was the rebellion of Avshalom. So these three events, these three events, these three repercussions were the results of David HaMelech's interaction with Bathsheba. So according to the Malbim, this capital, Perek Vav, Hashem, please, don't be angry at me. Don't rebuke me. Please, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm languishing. This is when David HaMelech is stuck in the illness that was part of the repercussion for the episode with Bathsheba. That's the context. That's the context, and that context is going to frame our conversation over the next couple of shiurim. But what I want to draw your attention to is the underlined Pasuk, which is Pasuk Hay. Because David HaMelech says, Shuva Hashem. Now, if you, we'll see the English translation, but we'll see a deeper translation. Shuva Hashem, literally again, return. Now, what that means, return, return to who, return to what? We'll see Shuva Hashem, return Hashem, Cholza Nafshi. So the translation over here is, rescue my soul, Hoshi'eni Leman Chasdecha. Please save me for the sake of your loving kindness. So if you take a look at the Radak, the Radak in number four says as follows. So David HaMelech is saying, please, I'm asking you, Shuva Hashem, I'm asking you to please not be angry with me, which means what? Don't let me die from this illness. Don't let me die. The first thing David HaMelech is davening for, for himself, is a refuah shalema, please, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. V'shuv chaltza nafshi shalo amos zeh mecholi. Do not allow me to die from this illness. And I ask you that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, hoshi'eni leman chasdecha, lo b'tzirkasi, ki adati, ki ani chayiv. David HaMelech says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I need you to heal me. But I can't ask you to heal me because I deserve it, because I don't deserve it. I'm asking you to heal me. Shuva Hashem, return to me Hashem. Chaltza nafshi, rescue my soul. Hoshi'eni, save me. Why? Leman chasdecha. Because you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, are a bal chased. Because you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, ultimately are the master of compassion and kindness. I, David, don't deserve a refuah. Now, whether or not that's a true statement is not for us to judge. David HaMelech felt that he did not deserve a refuah. So I just want to point out, David HaMelech, David HaMelech, well, okay, well, well, I'll just mention this to you, although we'll come back to it later on. David HaMelech was the consummate Balchuva. Because remember, again, when confronted with his wrongdoings, David HaMelech says two words. Chatasi Lashem. No excuses, no explanations, no stories. Chatasi Lashem. I own it. I own it. I did it. I own it. I take responsibility for it. Tell me what I need to do to repair. But it's fascinating that in David's own eyes, he does not deserve forgiveness from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. David feels he doesn't deserve forgiveness. I made a terrible mistake. As a result, I'm in this predicament. I'm asking you to heal me. But I'm asking you to heal me not because I deserve it. I'm asking you to heal me because you, God, are the master of compassion. Because you, God, ultimately, again, are the greatest Baal Chesed. There's so much incredible, deep emotion in all of this in general. Because David HaMelech highlights what is sometimes the nature of the human condition, which is sometimes we don't think that we really are worthy of being forgiven. You know, the Svas Emes, the Gerev points to something amazing. He says, Yom Kippur, we finish Ni'ilah, we finish Ni'ilah, we go right into Ma'ariv. 
Going to Mariv. And what's one of the first brachos you see in Mariv? Slach lanu avinu ki chatanu. Forgive me, Hashem, for I have sinned. So ask the Sasemes. It's right after Yom Kippur. I just finished Ne'ilah. What could I possibly have done? I'm even too tired to speak Lashon Hara, right? Anars, no matter how juicy it may be, like I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I couldn't, it's not like I ate something without a bracha or didn't have enough kavana. I haven't eaten anything. I'm still in shul. Literally, I've been davening for the last 24 hours. The first post Yom Kippur davening, I'm asking for forgiveness. Slach lano vinu ki chatanu. You know what the Sasama says? I ask forgiveness for not really believing that I can be forgiven. Meaning, we go through a Yom Kippur, and the whole essence of Yom Kippur is I can start again. I can start again. I can erase the past. I can have that tabla rasa, that clean slate, that new beginning. But so many of us don't actually believe that. We don't believe that we can be forgiven. We don't believe that we can start again. We don't believe that we can erase the past. We don't believe that there could be a blank slate. We, what we do believe often is, my baggage is my baggage, will always be my baggage, no matter what I do or I don't do. I'm damaged goods. I'm really not a whole person. And so many of us, whether we realize it or not, carry this perception with us throughout our entire life. So says the Svasemes, we say, We ask for forgiveness for we've sinned. What sin? The sin of not believing that we are really forgiven. The sin of not believing that we can really start again. So when you read these psukim, and you read this commentary, it's heartbreaking that David HaMelech is talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and David HaMelech is saying, I don't deserve your forgiveness. David, yes, you do. You do forget. You do deserve God's forgiveness. You made mistakes. We all make mistakes. The difference between David and most of us is most of us spend an inordinate amount of time and effort explaining away our mistakes or justifying our mistakes. David HaMelech was the quintessential Baal Tshuva, and he owned it. And once you own it, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always willing to give additional opportunities to live life again. But for whatever the reason, David HaMelech does not feel that he has really been forgiven. So what I want to draw your attention to is something very interesting, what I, what I thought was intriguing, that the word that David HaMelech uses in Pasuk is, Shuvah Hashem, Cholza Nafshi. So the English translation over here for chaltsa is rescue. But the truth is, if I were to ask you, how does chaltsa translate? How would you translate chaltsa? No wrong answers. Right? Chaltsa, so, so the truth is, right? So chaltsa, what, what immediately comes to mind? Chalutz, chalitza. Right? What's the process of chalitza? Right? It's the removal of the shoe. Interestingly enough, if you take a look at number five, the Metsudas David says this. He says, Chalza is shaluf, is removal. So David HaMalach says, Shuva Hashem, Chalza Nafshi, which literally means almost like remove my soul. So could it be that David HaMalach is praying for death as a release? doesn't sound like that from the rest of the capital. Maybe remove the sin from my soul. Maybe remove the feeling of guilt from my soul. But the Lashon of Chaltza is interesting. Now again, as I mentioned before, the English translation over here 
English translation over here is rescue. The truth is, where, does, where do we get rescue from? And that's based on some of the other Mepharshim. Because to remove, in other words, remove me from these circumstances. Chaltzanafshi, remove my soul from my current predicament and plant me somewhere else. But I want to show you something amazing. Because this word chaltza occupies a very important part in our tefillah. If you take a look at number six, the Gemara Masechah's bracha says as follows, Rav, Basr Tziluse Amrahachi. Let me give you a little bit of context. The Gemara is discussing over here that the various Tanoim, when they would finish their Shemona Esrei, they would insert a whole bunch of supplemental prayers. So here was Rav's supplemental prayer. Because you know, remember, after you say, Baruch Hashem HaMavarech Es Amo Yisrael Bashalom, technically speaking, Shemona Esrei is over. It's over. Now we say Elokai Nitzor afterwards, but whatever you want to add in at the end, you have the right to add in. So the Gemara here discusses what all these different great Rabbanim of yesteryear added into their Shemona Esrei. So watch this. Rav Basar Tzalusi Amarachi. When Rav would finish davening, he would say as follows. Finish davening meaning after Hambarech Esamo Yisrael Bashalom. He would say, Yiratzal Mofanech Hashem Elokeinu. It should be your will Hashem God. Shetite Elanu Chaim Aruchim. Give us a long life. Chaim shall shalom, a life of peace. Chaim shall tova, a life of good. Chaim shall bracha, a life of blessing. Chaim shall panas, a life of livelihood. Chaim shall chilutz at samos. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Chaim sheish bam yiras chet, a life that has fear of sin. Chaim she'ein bam busha uchlima, a life that does not have humiliation or degradation. Chaim shall osher recover, a life of wealth and honor. Chaim she'teibanu avas Torah v'yirashamayim al-haif. That we should have in us a love of Torah, a reverence of heaven. And a life in which you should fulfill all of our desires for good. Sounds familiar? So where does Berchas HaChodesh, and by the way, isn't it incredible? One of the most inspiring things I often feel is when you realize that so many of the tefillos we say are the same tefillos that Kalal Yisrael has been saying for over a thousand years. It is nothing short of inspirational. So where does Birchas HaChodesh come from? Birchas HaChodesh was not a tefillah that was created to announce the arrival of the new month. Birchas HaChodesh actually is a tefillah composed by the sage Rav. But Rav didn't say this on the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh. Rav said this when? Rav said this when? Every single day. Every single day he said this in Shemona Esrei. We say it once a month with a couple of different changes. For Rosh Chodesh benching. For Birchas HaChodesh on the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh. Out of all of the things, so the truth is most of the items mentioned in this tefillah are pretty self-explanatory and obvious. The one phrase that jumps out is, Chayim Shalchilotz Atzamos. What does that mean? Chayim Shalchilotz Atzamos. So you know, what, what, what does Atzamos mean? Bones. So what does it mean, Chayim Shalchilutz Atzamos? So Rashi explains in the Gemara, it means that Chadish Baruch Hu, give me a life of strong bones. Give me a life of strong bones. What does it mean ultimately again to give me a life of strong bones? Chadish Baruch Hu, give me staying power. Give me staying power. Give me strong bones so that I could stand up to whatever life throws my way. Chilutz at Samos is what we ask for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I accept the fact that life is not going to be easy. 
Do you know one of the greatest disservices that contemporary society does to us, for us, and this especially impacts young people? So if you're young or you think you're young or you feel young, listen very carefully. One of the most greatest disservices is this idea that life is supposed to be easy. That somehow everything should just flow. Right? And if it's difficult, well, you need a different app, right? Or if it's difficult, right, you need a new service. Or if, you know, if, if it's not fast enough, well, there's something problematic with that. And it's a terrible disservice. That's why in general, as a country, America is lagging behind many other superpowers because unfortunately, we've become lazy and just a bit bloated in terms of not wanting to expend effort and thinking that everything is going to be easy all of the time. Who said life is supposed to be easy? Name one great person you know who has had an easy life. Name one person who's accomplished a dramatic amount, who's had an easy life. And even if you think they've had an easy life, that's only because you think that is because you don't know their story. But at the end of the day, we dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu, give me chilot tzatzamas. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, give me strength. Because I know that the coming month is going to bring its trials and tribulations. It's going to bring its difficulties. It's going to bring adversity. And so give me the strength. I, I don't want to crumble. I don't want to constantly curl up into the fetal position. I don't want to go ahead and shed tears. I don't want to break down every single time something doesn't go my way. I need to be stronger than that. That's the request for Chilotz Atzamas. Now, based on that, interestingly enough, it turns out that Chilotz, Chalza, doesn't just mean to remove. Chalza means strength. In fact, I'll show you something interesting. If you look for a moment at number seven, if you look at number seven, in the Pasuk in Bamidbar, the Torah says, Va'avr lachem kol chalutz es hayardin. This is HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu. When you go into Eretz Yisrael, who has to lead the charge? The Chalutz. Who are the Chalutz? They're the, strong, they're, they're the elite forces of the army. Send the strongest forces in first. The Chalutz is the brave and mighty and sturdy warrior. So therefore it turns out that when David HaMelech says, Shuvah Hashem, Chalutzah Nafshi, what David HaMelech is really asking for, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, give me strength. Give me strength. Now what's interesting is as follows. So it turns out that David HaMelech is asking for two things in this capital. He's saying, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, take away the difficulties and give me strength. Now the truth is, do you really need both of those requests? No, no why not? If HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to take away the difficulties, I don't need the strength. If he's not... Excuse me, you're going to take away the difficulties. I need the strength. But David Amalek understood something incredibly profound. That there are times in life where you can navigate out of difficult circumstances. There are times in life where if you're attentive enough, you could avoid difficult circumstances. There are other times in life where even if you find yourself in difficult circumstances, if, if I'm wise enough and thoughtful enough, I can get out of those circumstances. And then there are other times in life where you can't get out. You cannot get out. The circumstances are what they are. You know, there's an incredible halacha in Yardea, in Hilchos Avelos. Hilchos Avelos. Incredible halacha in Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch says that an Avel, person who's sitting Shiva, is not allowed to say, 
I would give anything to change this situation. Not allowed to say those words. I would give anything not to be in this situation. Strange, because it almost sounds like the most reflexive thing that a person says after loss. I wish I wasn't in this situation. Why not allowed to say those words? Why not? Because it's an exercise in futility. You can't change the reality in which you are in in that moment. In that moment when you've suffered loss, there's nothing you can do to change that reality. And so engaging, engaging in verbal dissolution, right? Engaging in, in, in a dialogue that is nonsensical and doesn't yield anything real is an exercise in futility and prevents you from embracing and accepting what is. You see, this is the great dialectic in life. Sometimes I have difficult circumstances and I need to figure out how do I get out of this. And sometimes I have to be brave enough to say, I can't get out of this. This is, this is my life right now. This is what it is. One day it'll change. One day it'll get better. One day my situation will improve. But right now, this is the box I live in. And so my avoda is, how do I maximize it? How do I make the best out of these circumstances? How do I take what is, even though I didn't choose it, and I really did not want it, but it's what I've got, it's what I've got, how do I maximize it? And so David HaMelech is davening for two things. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I would love for you to remove me from this, because you can do that, you're HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But if you're not going to remove me, then I embrace this reality, I embrace this new matzav, and all I ask of you is to give me the strength to manage it. You see, it's such a profound idea because sometimes even when we dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu, sometimes, and it's, no one, it's difficult, you know, we, we always live kind of like out of two sides of our mouth. On one hand, I believe that anything and everything could change in a moment. I believe that. On the other hand, I also accept the fact that more often in life, what happens? Change takes time. You know, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau, Shlita, the former chief rabbi of Israel, current chief rabbi of Tel Aviv, he makes this observation, it's such a beautiful observation, he says in the Haggadah, he says in the Haggadah that in Halach Ma'anya, we say, Hashata Avdi, the Shana Haba B'nei Chorin. This year we're slaves, next year we'll be free. Hashata Hacha, this year we're here, the Shana Haba, next year we'll be in Eretz Yisrael. So Rabbi Lau asks, why do we say that? Why don't we say, Right now, I'm a slave, but tomorrow I'm going to be free. Right now, I'm here. Tomorrow, I'm going to be married. What do you mean next year? Next year? A year? A year for the Jew? A year is like, is like a century. What do you mean a year? So Berlau says something so incredibly profound, that life is an incredible balance between optimism and realism. Optimism tells me anything could change at any time. Realism dictates... That dramatic change takes time. And the more dramatic the change, often the more time it will take. So right now I'm a slave. Could I be free tomorrow? Could I be free tomorrow? Is it possible? Absolutely. Is it probable? No. Because chances are if I'm enslaved to something which all of us are, it's going to take me a little bit of time to shake off those shackles. Right now I'm here. Could I be in Yerushalayim tomorrow? Absolutely. Possible. Probable? I don't know. 
I don't know. Generally, if you want to change your circumstances from Galus to Yerushalayim, from Galus to Yisrael, it's going to take time. I believe my optimism tells me anything could happen at any time. My realism tells me that often dramatic change takes time. So David HaMelech is davening for two things. Number one, get me out of this. Get me out of this. But if you're not going to get me out of this, give me the strength. Give me the chilutz atzamos. Chaltza nafshi. Allow me to have the strength, the staying power, so that this particular illness will not ruin me, will not bring me to my knees. Something incredible for us to daven for. To daven for strength. You know, we daven for so many different things. But to daven, Rav, Rav davened every day for Chilot Give me the strength to meet my challenges. Because in Allah Kaddish Baruch Hu, you're not going to wave your divine magic wand and change everything just like that. You can, you can, but no, it's not the way life works. So because of that, I recognize that I will have to face certain daunting circumstances over a prolonged amount of time. Chilot Give me the strength to meet those challenges. But perhaps, Davra Melas Chaltza Nafshi has another deeper meaning as well. And here we'll go to with our tie-in to the parasha. So if you look, take a look at number eight. So at the end of Parashas Vayera, we know, of course, that we read the most, one of the most dramatic stories in all of Tanakh, the story of Akedas Yitzchok. It was after these events. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu tested Avram. Avram says, yes, here I am, God. Take your son, your only son, the one you love, Yitzchak. Take him to And offer him up there as a carbon, as a sacrifice on one of the mountains, which I will show you. A dramatic command, right? Just the beginning, just, just, just last week's parasha, Yitzchak Avinu was, this week's parasha, I'm sorry. The beginning of this week, Yitzchak Avinu was born. Avram and Sarah, Avram 100, Sarah Imenu 90 years old. They have that long-awaited child. Avram Avinu's future, the Abrahamic heir. And yet HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him, out of nowhere, Kachnas Bincha, sacrifice your son. And the Akedah plays a central role in our theology. In fact, if you look at the davening of Yomim Noroim, from Slichos all the way through Hoshana Rabbah, there is no event that is referenced more times, historical event that is referenced more times over the course of Yomim Noroim davening than Akedas Yitzchak. It's a, it's a dramatic event for Klav Yisrael. But I've always been intrigued, what's the takeaway message? Right? When, we, when we read this part, we're going to read this part of this week. We're going to read the part of Akedah. So I read this story. We're all familiar with the story. Baruch Hashem, it has a happy ending. I want to put that out there. Right? It has a happy ending. Not a totally happy ending. Remember again, because Sari Imenu does pass away as a result of the, of the Akedah, which is just as an, another interesting aside. There is no story in Tanakh where everyone lives happily ever after. There are no happy endings. There are good endings, but there are not necessarily happy endings. But that's for a different year. In any event, what's the takeaway message? Like, what is it that I'm supposed to learn from the Akedah? Is it that I have to be willing to sacrifice my child? 
Well, unfortunately, throughout the ages, we've had to sacrifice our children. So that's, that's embedded in the DNA of the Jew, Rachman al-Litzlan. And what is it? If HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells me to do something, this I have to be ready to do. What, what is it? In other words, the Akedah was a unique Nisayon for Avraham Avinu. Right? There's a reason why only one man in the history of the Jewish people ever had a Nisayon like this directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's because it's unique to him. So what am I supposed to learn from it, right? What, what, what's the takeaway message for me from the Akedah? So I want to share with you what I think is, is one of the most moving Gemaras. I know I've said that 15 times tonight, the most moving, the most moving. But they all are. Just like each of your children are your favorite child. Each and every one of these sources is the most moving source. Take a look at number nine. There is a beautiful Gemara, Meseches Gittin. A, a, a very dramatic Gemara. Just to give you the context, the Gemara of Yerma Seches Gittin, this is Dafnun Zainam Abbas, page 57b. This particular section of the Gemara deals with the story of the Khorban, the story of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And the Gemara tells a story. So the Gemara says, Amra Yehuda Zuisha Vishiva Baneha. I want to tell you the story of a woman and her seven sons. Now the woman is unnamed is unnamed in the Gemara. We'll come back to her and who she is in just a moment. So a woman and her seven sons were brought before the Caesar. And the Caesar says to the son, Caesar says to the son, to the first son, bow down to my idol. So this child says to the Caesar, child says to the Caesar, I can't bow down to your idol. Our Torah says, I am Hashem, your God. I can't bow down to the gods. The Caesar ordered the child to be killed right there on the spot. They brought the second son to the Caesar. Bow down to the idol. Second child, second son, send the same thing. The Torah says, you can't have any other gods. They took the boy out and they killed him. They brought the third son. And again, this happens for sons three, four, five, six. Fast forward a little bit to the Gemara. The Gemara says, the Gemara says, um, two, four, six lines are from the bottom. Last two words, Kesar. The last little boy. This is the youngest of this woman's seven sons. She has just seen her six sons brutally murdered right in front of her eyes. They bring out the little boy. The Caesar says to the little boy, bow down to the idol. And the little boy says no. The Caesar now realizes what is about to occur. He's going to wipe out an entire family, wipe out an enti- in front, right in front of a mother, right in front, a mother, a, a children right in front of a mother. And now there's this little boy standing in front of him, even the Caesar's own sense of compassion is awakened. I'm really Kesar. I am now two, four, five lines up from the bottom. Ishti lach gushpanko vegachen vishakle. Says to the Caesar, says to the little boy, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw down my ring. And can you just bend down to get my ring? This way, ki hechi delemru kabil alei harmina demalka. The Caesar was trying to spare the little boy's life. And he said, I understand. You don't want to bow down to the idol. I understand. So here's what I'm going to do. You just saw what happened to your six brothers. I'm going to drop my ring. I'm going to drop my ring in front of the idol. Just, bow, just bend down to pick up my ring. And now it'll look like you're going ahead and bowing down to the idol. But you're really not. You don't have to worry. You're not really worshiping. You're just going ahead and just going ahead 
and just going ahead and retrieving my ring. Amr so listen to what the little boy says to the Caesar. Chaval alecha kesar, chaval alecha kesar. This little boy says to the Caesar, Caesar, I feel so bad for you. I feel so sad for you, Caesar. I feel so sad for you, Caesar. You're so concerned with your honor. You need even a little boy to bow down to you. So the Caesar says, the little boy says to the Caesar, you who's immortal, so wrapped up in your covet, and you don't even deserve the covet. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Ribono Sholom, the Melech Machi the King of Kings, he truly deserves the honor. How could I possibly ever bow down in front of you, bow down in front of your idol? Afkua Lemiktale. They took out the little boy and they were ready to have him executed. But look how the Gemara ends. Amrle Ime. This scene is, is almost impossible to imagine. So the mother cried out. She said, Yahavo Nihili Ve'inshike Purta. She said, Before you take my son, just let me hold him and kiss him a little bit. So they give the mother this last request. Amralo, she whispers into her little boy's ears, Bani, or Bonai, she's talking to all of her sons now. Luchu, amru Avram Avichem, when you go up to Shemai, my children, Go find Avram Avinu. And when you find him, tell him, Avram, you only had to erect one altar. And you only had to put one son on top of it. She says, I, I, I put up, I erected seven altars. And of course, your unspoken words, is that Avram, you had the great privilege to take your son off the altar. I, this mother, did not have that privilege. She watches her last son executed. She too went up to the roof, fell off the roof, and died. So most often this woman is identified as Chana. Chana v'sheva banaha. In fact, again, if you go to the old cemetery, in Svas, there is a grave. There is a grave. There is a cave there with eight graves, seven small ones and one larger one. And again, they say historically, that is the grave. That is the Ma'ara of Chana and her seven sons. This exchange that she has with her youngest child in the last moments of his life, go to the Olama MS, go to the world to come, go to the world of truth and go and find Avram Avinu and tell him, Avram, you only had to erect one altar, one sacrifice. I had to erect seven. So what is she saying? Right? What, what at the end of the day, what, what message was she trying to convey? That she's stronger than Avram? That she's better than Avram? What's, what is it? That she, what, what's the deeper meaning of her words? And if you take a look at number 10, the Minchas Asher of Asher Weiss Shlita says something so beautiful. He says, Nira alpi says the Minchas Asher something amazing. What this woman was saying to her son is, go find Avram Avinu. 
And when you go find him, tell him thank you. Why thank you for what? Because Avraham found the strength, found the willingness to sacrifice his son. Chana, this mother was saying, I have the strength to do the same. My strength, Chana was saying, my strength, this Jewish mother was saying, doesn't come from me. My strength comes from Avram Avinu. And that says, says Rosh Hashanah, that when Avram Avinu passed the 10 tests, he embedded within the Jews' DNA, he embedded within the Jews' genetic code, the ability to rise to meet the challenges of life. So she tells her son, when you leave this world, go to Avram Avinu and say, Because you were willing to go ahead and meet your challenge. Because you were willing and ready to sacrifice your son. Because you were willing to meet the challenges of life. You have embedded within me the ability to do the same. My strength as a mother comes from your strength, Avraham, as a father. The strength we have in life comes from those who are able to overcome their nisyonos. Because our parents, our grandparents, the avos and the maos, were able to stand strong in the face of adversity, their ability to weather the storms and vicissitudes of life gives us the strength to do the same. And perhaps, so if we take this a little bit deeper, Perhaps what David HaMelech was saying was as follows. Ribbon Hashem, remember again, the picture we're painting about David HaMelech is a man who, oh, before we get to David HaMelech, so what's the takeaway message of the Akedah? What's the takeaway message? The takeaway message is that when you find the strength to meet your challenges in life, you embed within your family, within your friends, within your community, the koach for them to do the same. When I see you meeting your challenges, it gives me the strength to meet my own. You see, sometimes life we're faced with adversity. And sometimes maybe there's a voice in my head that says, I don't think I could do this. But then there's another voice that says, I have to do it. Because it's not just about me. It's about my children and it's about my grandchildren, and it's about future generations that I am never going to meet. And if I meet this Nisayon, if I rise to this occasion, if I meet this challenge now, then I embed that strength within my familial DNA. So that in generations from now, when a descendant of mine is facing an overwhelming life circumstance, he or she will be able to draw strength from me because I was willing to go ahead and rise to the occasion the same way that this unnamed mother in the Gemara, where do you have the strength like that? I don't know, I have to tell you the truth. I see Gemaras like this and I say to myself, I don't know, I think I would just tell them to bow. I think I would just tell them to bow. How does it, how, how, it's wrong. It's wrong, you don't, Avodah Zara is one of the Averis you have to give your life for, but I don't know. How does a person rise to that occasion? How does a person actually do that? How does a mother, how does a mother watch her seven beautiful children butchered right in front of her eyes? How does she do that? And so she tells her youngest son, 
I want to tell you how I did it. I did it because Avraham did it. And because Avraham met his challenges, it gives me the strength. He embedded within our genetic code the ability to meet our challenges as well. And when we do that, and when we meet our challenges, we embed that same koach in our family as well. You know, my, my, my daughter's in seminary this year, and they did actually a very beautiful project. They had a Shabbaton in Svas, and they asked, uh, they asked the parents to submit stories about previous generations that were Moser Nefesh for Shabbos. I don't know why Shabbos, but that's Moser Nefesh for Shabbos. And the truth is, in my wife and in our family, Baruch Hashem, we have many, many, many stories of Mesiras Nefesh for Shabbos. My grandfather, Zichron Lebracha, came to this country. My family came to the country after the war. And my grandfather had jobs and his job, menial jobs, when they came to New York at first. And every Friday he was told the same thing. He was told the same thing. If you don't show up tomorrow, you don't have a job on, on Monday. And week after week, he lost his job. Week after week, he lost his job. Three young children, doesn't speak English, an immigrant, it's not like today, where immigrants, Baruch Hashem, you receive a basket of services. There was no one to meet them. There was no one to help them. They were on their own. But Shabbos would never be compromised. And I often think to myself, what a schos that our mishpacha must have. That that strength, I don't have that test. I've never had that test. One of the great things about being a rabbi is generally Shabbos is not a problem with, with my work. Right? Baruch Hashem. I've never encountered that in, in my life. I've never had a situation. But I know that that strength of my grandfather, Zichron Lebracha, and my wife's grandparents, Zichron Lebracha, that strength is embedded in our familial DNA. And there will come a time where we're going to need it because everybody faces their challenges. And when that challenge comes and we're able to face that challenge, it's not us who gets the shkayach, but it's our grandparents who get it. Because they stood up in the face of incredible difficulty, chose not to buckle, and that strength now becomes part of who and what we are. The takeaway from the Akedah is that sometimes we have to pass our nisyonos in life. We have to pass our struggles, not just for us, but because others are counting on us as well. Because if we're strong, we allow others to be strong. So, you know, I was just meeting today with a young woman who was telling me her, her life story. And I will tell you that I had to hold myself back from crying because it was like a story like Eov. It was a story literally like Eov, suffering, suffering from childhood all the way into adulthood. You would never know, you would never know. And I said to her, I said, you are one of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. And I have to tell you, she left, she left my office. And then I saw it, said to myself, oh, Shmuel, you got to get it together. You got to get it together. You have like a million excuses for all the things you don't accomplish. And you complain about this and you complain about that. And this is a problem. And I'm krechzing and whining and this and that. Get it together. Get it together. Your excuses aren't real excuses. Your problems, they're problems, but they're not debilitating problems. Your challenges are challenges, but you can meet them and overcome them. And we all have experiences like that. When you meet someone who really suffers, 
who really suffers, who really undergoes adversity, but they don't wear it on their sleeve, they get it together, they move forward, they exhibit strength, it inspires you to do the same. The power of overcoming your nisyonos, of overcoming your challenges, is not only what it does for you, but it's also what it does for others. So perhaps the takeaway from the Akedah is you have to be strong in life, not just for you, but because your spouse may be looking to you, your children may be looking to you, your parents may be looking to you, your friends, your community. And when you exhibit strength in the face of adversity, when you do not let life bring you to your knees, you inspire others to be strong as well. And this is such an incredibly important yisod. This unnamed mother was inspired because of Avraham Avinu. And when we meet our challenges, not only do we show ourselves what we're made of, but we inspire others around us to meet their challenges as well. And perhaps, so with this I'll conclude, perhaps that's the meaning of David, because you have to come back to Sefer Tillim, perhaps that's the meaning of David HaMelech's phrase, Chaltza Nafshi. Maybe when David says Chaltza Nafshi, Again, we were discussing, it means give me strength. But why is David asking for strength? Why is he asking for strength? Because David is the king. And when you're the king, all eyes are on you. And so David says, Give me the strength to meet my challenges. Because if you give me the strength to meet my challenges, not only will I overcome, but I'll inspire others to do the same as well. David HaMelech wasn't only davening for himself. David HaMelech understood, just like this mother of the seven sons understood, that when we are strong, when we exhibit strength, when we find a way to keep moving in life, even when things are difficult, when we find a way to keep it together, even when it's so tempting to lose it, when we find a way to accomplish, even though it feels like the deck is stacked against us, not only do we inspire ourselves, but we inspire others to be strong as well. Chol Nafshi was David Amalek asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu, give me strength, not just for me, but if I exhibit strength, if I exhibit perseverance, if I exhibit poise and purpose, even in the midst of adversity, I will encourage others and inspire others to do the same. So this is our first lesson from Kapitel Vav. We have many more lessons in Mirz Hashem ahead of us in this Kapitel. But the first lesson David HaMelech teaches us is Chaltza Nafshi. First of all, we should daven each and every day for Chilat It doesn't just have to be once a month. It's probably Kedai to include this. Rav included it every day. Give me Chilat Just give me strength. Give me strength. Because I know not every life situation is going away. Some things are going to be part of the fabric of my life for a very long time. I can't wish it away. It's not going anywhere. It is what it is. Give me the chilat tzatzamas to manage those circumstances that I cannot change. But it's not just for me. Because if you help me be strong, then not only will I be able to persevere, but in Mirat Hashem, I will implant in the DNA, the spiritual DNA of my family, and I'll have an influence on those around me to be strong as well. We'll stop over here for tonight. We'll continue with Kapitel Vav again next week.